Hi, this is Eric Corey Freed. And Eve Blossom. And this is Care by Design. Today we talk with Denise Sandoval, the founder of the San Francisco nonprofit Lava May, that started by providing showers to the homeless in California and then scaled the program. We talk about how a simple idea for the homeless, a human-centric design service, can create dignity. And we also discuss when and why a founder brings in a new CEO for the next phase of an organization. Enjoy. Denise, it's great to have you today on Care by Design. It's awesome to be joining you. We often don't think of the ability to take a hot shower as a privilege. Tell us about the amazing work that Lava May does. When you're housed, you just you take a lot of things for granted, especially now that we're sheltering in place. We take even more for granted, even though we've come to appreciate a lot of the things we've lost. But a shower is so vital to our sense of self and to our dignity. And dignity is a very powerful two-way street. It's as much about how you feel about yourself as it is about how people treat you. And when you don't have the ability to get clean and stay clean, the way that people perceive you and treat you erodes really quickly. We make a lot of those snap judgments about people. And when we see people who are in dirty clothes and whose skin reflects the grime that they have been accumulating over time, we aren't exactly the most charitable. So a shower is a chance to turn that around. And it's so vital also for your health and well-being. We know now washing your hands is so integral to not catching the virus, the COVID-19, but for other things as well. And when I found out that there was this horrible paucity of showers in the city, I was utterly shocked. San Francisco, you know, is one of the most affluent cities in the world. I think there's now, I think the newest number is like 120 millionaires per square mile, right? crazy numbers and 75 to 100 billionaires in the city as well. And yet we had 16 shower stalls for over 7,000 people who were officially unhoused in the city. And that is something that you don't expect to find anywhere in the United States, but especially in a city like San Francisco. Yeah, you have a philosophy of radical hospitality the idea behind radical hospitality is that you are you know, providing people with a profound sense of care, extraordinary care. And it's, it's about really seeing people, about making that connection. Something that sadly, in our modern lives, we don't tend to do a whole lot, especially in big cities. We run around connected to our devices and not looking at other people, whether they're housed or unhoused. And that leaves a huge vacuum internally inside people. So then you add on the stigma of being unhoused and people feel completely dehumanized. There are sadly too many providers who provide services for people who are unhoused from clothing to employment, training, things like that. Treat people like a number who feel like you should be grateful for what you get and move on, right? And I think for me, my experience at the DMV sort of captured it perfectly, right? Who the hell wants to go there? 
that is unfortunately how too many um, services are for people who are in house. So this idea that we're really creating a true one-to-one connection, that how you treat people is as or even more important than any service that you could ever provide them. That's at the core of radical hospitality. How did you decide to become a mobile hygiene pioneer? That, that couldn't have been something that you went looking for. Was there a spark? It was a process of things that happened to me, beginning with the gentrification of the neighborhood that I lived in. We were in the Western edition. My family is a mixed race family. We wanted to live somewhere that reflected us. And then that began to change as we saw our neighbors, if they were fortunate enough to own, to sell and move somewhere else. And sadly, those, though, who were left behind, who were renting, faced eviction in many cases. We lost three gentlemen we knew, all in their 80s, to being evicted. And they eventually died on the street despite our attempts to help connect them to services. And it's because they're just our long wait lists for housing. And when that happened, it really devastated us. And we decided that we were going to do something. We started volunteering. And fairly quickly on, it didn't feel like enough, right? I was driving around the city, finding myself in puddles of tears, looking at people and just wondering how how could we be abandoning them? I eventually passed a young woman who was unhoused and saying over and over again that she would never be clean. And while I assumed that those words might have had many meanings, it made me wonder what our chances were for getting physically clean. So I went home that night, jumped on the computer, did the research, and that's when I found out about the 16 showers. So I thought, okay, maybe this is something I can help do. And when I read shortly thereafter that Muni was retiring its diesel buses, um, the light bulb went on in my head. I'm a marketing person, and I know that to raise money, you need a good story. I knew commercial shower trailers existed, but to take a Muni bus, something people love to hate and to do something good with it sounded like a true spark of creativity. And it did turn out that way. It was uh, the thing that captured people's imagination. It intersected with the idea of reuse, recycle, repurpose. And so that story was incredibly effective. The design process was unbelievably overwhelming. And it was also really scary, too, because it took a long time to find the company that would retrofit the buses for us. It was also about bringing all of these other entities to the table, right? I knew I needed city government to, first of all, help me get my hands on those buses for free. Secondly, to provide access to water and dumping and sidewalk usage and all of these things that we had to set set up. And then other partners, because I... As much as a shower can be powerful, to be able to pair it with other services seemed so important. So meeting heads of other organizations to say, we'd love to park outside of where you are so that people can wait inside your building and take advantage of other services until it's their turn to shower. And so that it's more of this wraparound collaborative impact. So all of that was going on where we were trying to go through the iterations of designing the bus. We got out on the streets and talk to people about what they wanted. Because I had started with this elaborate idea of a bus with you know, as many showers as possible, one toilet, maybe a pull-off trough where people could shave, all of this. But we realized pretty quickly, this is what we want. What do the people that we want to, uh, to serve actually need? And I'm glad we did that because what we found out were sort of three really important things. One is that 
when you're unhoused, you have nowhere to go to have a sense of privacy and respite. Nowhere where you can kind of shut your door, especially if you're living on the street. And so privacy was a big thing. The other was that if you're a woman or you're LGBTQ, finding a place where you can shower and be safe is almost impossible. And lastly, somewhere around 60% of the population identifies as having some form of disability. And so you might find a place that can meet your disability, but not keep you safe or vice versa. So we wanted to take all those things into account. So we scrapped this idea of the 10 showers and everything else and turn the muni bus into just two full private bathrooms. And we wanted to make it beautiful. And even though it was a used muni bus, the idea was that I wanted to, to communicate to people that you are worth this and so much more. You deserve something that's not a cast off, that's not good enough, is actually really beautiful. So we're very careful about the colors that we used. Kohler, the bathroom fixture, kitchen fixture company came to us and said, how can we help? So they donated all these beautiful high-end products. We had wonderful fluffy towels. We put skylights in there and we built in speakers so that we could pipe in music. You don't use the word homeless, which I agree tends to be pejorative, but instead, you're very deliberate with your language and using the word unhoused. And I, I love how changing the language reframes how we look at a, a problem or an issue. I think I was using the word homeless until, oh, maybe six months in. And we had a guest and she was lovely. And she, she said to me, please don't take this the wrong way. She said, but homeless, that's not who I am. Homeless is a set of circumstances, not an individual. And for many people, we define home in so many different ways. Sometimes it's not even the structure we live in. It is the people that we build our lives around. And so we began to very deliberately call people, uh, refer to them as unhoused. And then we, we then went one step further and started calling people our unhoused neighbors because it's also very clear in our communities that we see people who are unhoused as outliers as not part of this community. In fact, one of the biggest myths is that the people who are on our street don't come from our cities. They come from somewhere else. More than 70 to 75% of people were unhoused, were living in the cities that they had been, became unhoused in. So they didn't get shipped in or bust in. They are our neighbors and, and words are so powerful um, and can be so validating to the people who we call whatever it is we're calling. So yes, we became very intentional with the way we spoke about them. Oh my gosh, this is so needed and so important. I'd love you for you to talk about how you're using design to solve problems that are out there that people don't really want to solve because there's no financial incentives mm -hmm. to solve. So I'm curious about how you got people to rally around this. We started as a demonstration project. I thought that I was going to be able to prove to San Francisco that this was doable, it was cost-effective, and it was transformational for the people who were experiencing it. And that after six months, the city would go, okay, we are going to, like, you don't really know what you're doing. And instead, after six months, they said, good job, keep going. And, you know, it was this moment of, like, I'm going to have to actually build and lead an organization if this is going to continue. And there's no way based on what we were seeing in terms of just how it was affecting people personally that we could have walked away from it. So we landed on the vision of serving 30,000 unhoused Californians. Initially it was 30,000 San Franciscans. And I just thought, 
there's no way we're going to do this. We were just in San Francisco. We had no plans for expansion. But what the hell? Shortly thereafter, when we began to raise money for uh, retrofitting the buses, I started receiving an insane number of inquiries from around the globe, like as far away as Zimbabwe, Mongolia, as close as New York and San Jose, bring Lava May to us or teach us how to do it. That was a total surprise. I hadn't even really stopped to think that this might be a global problem. And LA was one of the most consistent communities that just wouldn't stop knocking at our door. So we eventually opened a branch there and began to serve a lot more people. So I thought, okay, maybe this 30,000 by 2020 is not so impossible. We actually met our 2020 impact goal 16 months ahead of schedule. I was stunned, (laughs) totally stunned that that had happened. And the impact, you know, we started by thinking, oh, it's the number of showers we give. And we quickly realized that we were building relationships with people who were coming back again and again and again. So it wasn't just the showers, it was unique individuals and then starting to track their stories. They would come to us and say, oh my God, I was able to go to Starbucks and apply for a job as a barista because I was clean and now I'm going to start working. Or that made us realize that this was a critical stepping stone to a forward trajectory and the relationship through radical hospitality that people were building with us. It was really about understanding who you were creating something for and as much as possible, including them in that process, that their voice was as important as your knowledge about how to do something. That is one of the keys to success about what we have done. Even people who don't support services for the unhoused understand what a shower can do for you and what you're not able to achieve if you can't get and stay clean. So it was a story that was super easy for people to relate to. I felt like I wasn't asking them you know, to provide ongoing services around mental health or job training or any of that kind of stuff. It was just around make shower possible and people got it. I love that you've shared just that. A simple idea or a simple step that has such impact that people can understand and see the result, the outcome and the impact it has, distilling down the message. Yeah, I think it's injecting that empathy and then communicating the joy in it. I think for a long time, organizations were showing the bleak to try and pull on people's emotional strings. And and that's just counterproductive. And that was a huge lesson for me too, watching the people that we were serving. These are people who are experiencing the whole range of human emotion. You think, oh, you're unhoused, life is miserable, you must always be miserable. No. They experience these moments of joy. And so if you can create a design um, that comes from this place of of, of empathy, not from just the designer, but in the person who's using it, the person who's observing it, it's so powerful. And then if it then does spark joy and you can communicate that joy, I think that is just, it's like that that little place of magic in what you've managed to create. How much of your story is about stumbling upon Mm. not just the need, the demand, the global issue, but even how to talk about it. There could be a whole business of just tracking these stories into an impactful art piece. 
I've heard quotes from the people that have used your buses that said, I don't feel like I'm offending people standing next to them anymore. So isn't this as much about designing dignity as it is the logistics of a giant heavy bus filled with hot water and soapy water and soap and shampoo and towels? I mean, did that come to you right away that you're designing dignity or was it more, I see a problem and I want to solve it? You know, I think it was a bit of both. This is a problem. I want to solve it. And this deep emotional resonance with what people must be feeling. So I thought, we'll fix the mechanical part of this by making showers possible. But it is really very much about honoring the individual and the full humanity of that. And that is all about dignity. Dignity and belonging. One of the positive, you know, silver linings to the whole shelter in place is how people have rallied together neighbors who never knew each other, teens who were shopping for the elderly in their neighborhood, all of these beautiful small acts of, of kindness, of shared humanity. In our modern world, especially in this country, the connection to neighbor, the connection to community is really just slipping away. Technology helps a lot of people who can't normally connect, connect, not just in like these circumstances, but regularly. But it is also creating this huge divide. The sense of invisibility and the lack of belonging is not just something people who are unhoused experience. And it's something that I feel like if, if I could wave magic wand, I would bury this out there. So that would completely change. Long before I entered the world of, of nonprofits, I had been reading so much about our paternalistic view. And so we go into these third world countries, telling them how to do something It so often doesn't work. We pretty quickly decided that we wanted to create an open source toolkit. We'll share everything we know. And then started seeing more and more you know, communities start their own mobile hygiene program. Some of them, I think, just went and did it. Others took our toolkit and still needed some handholding. So we began to mentor communities. And then others still needed a deep dive in training, not just the mechanics of it, but also like, how did you get the city to agree to allow you to, do, you know, to get permits or do whatever? How did you create the partnerships? How did you message this to donors? In February of 2019, as I was seeing that we were going to hit our impact goal ahead of schedule, I was also seeing that the pipeline of communities requesting help from us was exploding. We had already helped 130 communities launch their own mobile hygiene program and had also begun to put together a toolkit for um, our next program. Our guests called it Burning Man for the Unhoused. This idea of just enabling communities to apply their local contexts and build their own without our brand. So we wanted to give people the complete autonomy to do it their way. It's really been wonderful to see how the, the model has flexed with every community that it's been in. And what we're doing now is really looking to build a network, bring all providers together so that we are sharing best practices and innovations that we can come together to pool funds to get lower costs on certain items, everything from trailers to towels, and then help other communities. So it's not just Lava May who's doing the teaching and training, that it is every single community that has a bandwidth and interest is able to support additional communities. And hopefully someday we solve homelessness, but until then, 
it's the ripple effect that's happening in the network is so strong in supporting each other and making it possible for this to grow in a really organic yet systematic way. The interesting thing about any founder growing something, you handed it off to a new CEO. As you said, you you felt it was time for a new leader. One of the things I saw was there was a lot of founder syndrome. Once we decided we are an organization here that we're building, to be very conscious of the point at which my best skills are really no longer valuable to the organization in the same way that they were in the beginning. I'm an ideas person. I'm a builder. I'm not a sustainer. I'm not the operational person who can strategically keep moving that ball forward. We actually began the pivot, the conversation of Lava May is becoming a nonprofit accelerator. This is the intentional choice that we're making by reducing some of our direct service ourselves and supporting new organizations coming up in those communities that we were reducing services so there wouldn't be these huge gaps, but spending more time supporting new communities that are either scaling or launching our programs. There are over 100 communities in the portfolio, new programs that are coming up. And so it's this really beautiful opportunity to amplify the impact globally, to meet needs globally in a way that we never would have otherwise. And that's a huge operational feat, but I would have not been the best to do it. I think there just comes a time when you recognize it as you make a shift. I'm an advisor and a spokesperson. I'm in a really sort of supporting the board a lot. And that feels really good. (laughs) Fantastic. Is this an accelerator with a focus of unhoused? Totally. It's completely focused on services for the unhoused. The pop-up care village toolkit will launch and we have communities that are interested. And, you know, with COVID, it has changed because our pop-up care villages served upwards of 600 people, which can't do right now. So the team is innovating on how in these times we can really sort of flip the model a bit to make it much more intimate. The team has also innovated on hand washing stations, which has been phenomenal. They've provided over a million hand washes. More than 50 hand washing stations have been built on the uh, reservations. And so it's, it's an uh, aligned group, definitely one step away from being unhoused and suffering sort of the same sort of challenges around access. The team did take a break from the showers and started doing encampment uh, hygiene kit drops so that they could stay connected to the people we serve and keep their eye on, you know, the growth of the tent encampments and the shifts that were happening. And then also innovating with the hand washing stations. The hygiene kits have morphed as needs have morphed. The team was contacted by someone at Gensler to begin working on their second iteration of a hand washing station. And it's really been this beautiful partnership, you know, of this amazing design and architecture firm coming to partner with this small, scrappy, innovative nonprofit to do something good. And uh, we're hoping that we can take that partnership, right? That we could place in encampments or we could then turn around and respond to the communities who are being affected by fires and asking us to bring our trailers. So that process of innovation and thinking through where those gaps are and how we might be able to fill them is very, very much a part of what Wabame X as the accelerator is about. You cannot on your own change the world, but that you can bring one small piece that then like a rock in a pond creates all of these ripples and transforms people. We affect each other. We transform donors who come on site and, and volunteers who had one 
perspective about homelessness and then it's completely changed after they've actually gotten to meet and talk to and work with people. But, you know, especially in our pop-up care villages, what I love to see is that these tour buses would come by and drop people, um, you know, in the civic center area because that's where we held them. And then I always tell people, you don't have to have some big crazy idea. You don't have to go convert a muni bus into showers and toilets. You can start by really being present and by, you know, somebody comes within five feet of you, smile, make eye contact, say good morning or hello. That can change a person's day. So I, I think just learning that those things and the fact that the little is powerful and we overlook it too often. Beautiful. Thank you for joining us today on Care by Design. Oh, so honored. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast of Care by Design with Eric Corey Freed and me, Eve Blossom, as your hosts. We look forward to our next interview this upcoming Tuesday. Visit us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Care by Design Pod. And there you can see additional show notes of each of our podcast interviews and additional posts on new podcast interviews. So tune in this Tuesday for our next Care by Design podcast. Hear us then.